we always uh, treat um, uh, January 1st, Easter as kind of one block to do a sermon series where we can delve into a text that's a little bit longer. I've, um, I always have enjoyed doing that where, you know, we can get into the Sermon on the Mount and um, I'm fighting a temptation. I kind of want to do this text every year. I've enjoyed this so much, uh, the words of Jesus, but um, actually for the next four years <laughs> in between um, uh, January and Easter, we're going to be studying the book of Genesis. And uh, so we're going to break it into four different sections uh, that will each take about that length of time to do. So there's a lot of great stuff in there with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the creation of the world. So um, January to Easter uh, next year, we'll be looking at Genesis 1 through 12. And so, I mean, that's a long way away. And I, I get you're probably not even thinking about that, but I, you know, um, so uh, I, I just kind of want to let you know how we lay out the schedule and that each uh, January we like to tackle something a little bit bigger. So we'll get into creation and life and all that stuff uh, next year. Um, one more week of this series, and then we'll be in our Easter series. It's a little three-week series uh, called The Sounds of Easter. Um, and uh, so we'll be kind of looking into that. Um, and uh, then we'll be into a series that we'll promo uh, on Easter Sunday that we're kind of excited about too. So uh, let's pray, and then we'll get into this, all right? Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for this morning, and uh, we thank you for uh, the gift of prayer. And um, there's a lot of questions that surround prayer and um, uh, sometimes a lot of frustration that surrounds prayer. And so I pray that some of that, we'd come to peace with some of that this morning uh, through your word, uh, the words of Jesus, to help us understand this gift better, to engage it a little bit better. Um, and to just receive the gift that, that you've intended for us fully. We thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Uh, there was a little boy uh, named Johnny. He was five years old. He told his parents, I really want to have a baby brother. And he offered to do whatever he could do to help. I really want a baby brother. And his dad, who was 35 years old and really quite wise, said, I'll tell you what. Why don't you pray uh, every day? for two months for a baby brother, and I can guarantee you God's going to bring you one. And so Johnny liked this idea. He engaged his dad's challenge, and he started to pray uh, every day for a baby brother in, in his room, and he, he prayed that way for one month. His father encouraged him for two, but he started to talk around to some of his neighbor friends, and he found out that in the history of their neighborhood, this had never happened before that somebody just prayed for two months and a baby brother appeared. So he got discouraged and he decided to quit. And another month went by and um, all of a sudden his dad picked him up from school and said, we're going to go to the hospital. And he went to the hospital and he found his mother there and his mother stepped out to the side and there was a little baby brother there. And next to the baby brother, there's a little baby sister. His mom had had, had twins and uh, now he had, it, it was awesome. And his dad looked down at him and said, now, aren't you glad that you prayed? And Johnny said, well, aren't you glad I quit when I did? Um, right? And so, um, you know, kind of, and I want you to open up your Bibles. Let, let's get to this first, to, to Matthew chapter 7. And today, um, Jesus has addressed this one time, and we honestly kind of skimmed over it. And we're going to get into that text a little bit more uh, as well. I knew this sermon was coming up, but I want to show you some things that Jesus said on the subject of prayer. And in order to have a discussion on prayer, I think we need to have a discussion on God's will first, if you'll indulge me in that. Because I think the way that we perceive God's will affects the way that we pray. 
right? And so we know that from the Bible, we know that God has a will, all right? That God has desire, that, that God has a plan, that he picked Moses to lead his people. He picked Abraham amongst all the people in the world. He picked Abraham to leave his family. He picked Jonah to go to Nineveh. Jesus is a good example of the will of God, that God saw us in our sin, and uh, he, he could have uh, condemned us to die. Instead, he sent his son and he chose to save us. And so the question that theologians have been arguing about for years and maybe even centuries that we are not going to solve today, but I do want to talk about it just for a minute, is the idea of God's will that is it open or is it closed? All right, is God's will open or closed? So when I say is God's will closed, I mean is God's will predecided and predetermined that God has decided in advance what he's going to do and there's no changing his mind, he's closed? Or is God's will open? So let me phrase it another way. Is it possible to change God's mind? Is it possible to persuade God to do a certain thing? All right, so is God's will more open or is he closed? And I'm going to be honest with you, there is scriptural support. I preached a whole sermon on this idea a few years back, but um, there is scriptural support to, to point to both of those ideas. But I guarantee you, as I was describing it, you probably have a personal leaning toward one of those ideas or the other. And I am guessing that your personal leaning to the answer to that question affects how you pray. Right? So if you have a view of God that tends to be he's closed, right? he's predecided, he's predetermined, there's no changing his mind. If, if that is you, I would guess, and I am just going to guess, you know, I'm not judging anybody, but I would guess that you find prayer challenging. Right? I, I've heard people uh, describe to me before as I'm talking to them, it's like, what is the purpose and the point of prayer? Right? God's already knows, God already knows what he's going to do. God's already decided what he's going to do. And so what is the purpose of prayer? That is a person that has kind of a closed view of God's will, right? That God's will is determined, God's will is set, and there's really no change in his mind. And that person usually struggles with prayer, right? If you're a person that has a more open view of God, I'm guessing you probably have a more passionate prayer life. You might resonate with this story Jesus told one time. I'll put it on the screen. Then Jesus said, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and said, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine is on a journey and has come to me. I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside says, don't bother me. It's late, right? The door is locked. My children are in bed. I can't give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not give up and give you the bread because of friendship, he will because of the shameless audacity. And he will surely give up and give you what you need. Here, here's translation. He won't give up and give you what you need because of friendship. He'll give up and give you what you need to get him out of his home, right? Uh, because, because of your shameless audacity. And if you have an open view of God, that God can be persuaded, that God's mind can be changed, you probably resonate with this story. And you say, yeah, if there is one way that I want my prayer life to be described, it is shameless audacity, Right? It is shameless audacity. I'm going to ask, I'm going to plead, I'm going to beg God for what I desire because he might listen. He might change his mind. Now, don't mistake me. There are some frustrations that come with this model as well. And this view of thinking that if God doesn't do what you've asked and pleaded for, right? if God doesn't give you what you asked for, you might feel frustrated. You know what, I, you know what else I've also seen? You might feel guilty. Like, was I not audacious enough? 
Right? I've heard people say that before. Right? They have a very open view of God, that God can be persuaded. God's mind can be changed. And then it doesn't happen. They're like, was I not audacious enough? Did I not pray boldly enough? And sometimes a struggle with this type of system comes um, that it can become about, the shameless audacity can become about, I am going to get God to do what I want him to do. And I can tell you right now, that is not how prayer works. So the big question is, is God open, he can be persuaded, or is he closed? He's predetermined and predecided. And the answer to that question is yes. Yes. He is at times both of those things, right? And that's why there is scriptural evidence to describe God in both of these ways. And you and I should resonate with that. Because I have a son and I have a daughter, and Lila's not to the age where she's asking for a ton yet, but my seven-year-old, he asks me for things, and sometimes I will describe it to you this way. Sometimes I'm open, and sometimes I'm closed. Right now, I have predetermined, I have predecided, Sam, this is what is going to have, I am closed on this issue. And sometimes it's like, well, if you want the gumball, let me, do I have a quarter? I never have a quarter, but do I have a quarter? You know, I'm open. If I have it, you can have it, right? And so we resonate with God in this way. So the question becomes, if he's both, how then do we pray? And I want to show you the words of Jesus. I, I, think, I think Jesus is going to give us, he's not going to try to answer that question. That, that question was a setup. But I think he's going to give even better questions to ask. And I'm going to work through these questions that we can ask about our prayer life that I think will lead us to a healthy and vibrant, good prayer life, even more than what we discussed so far, although what we discussed is important. So let me show you the words of Jesus, and then we're going to talk through some questions about praying the Jesus way. Here's what Jesus says. All right. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? All right? So here's question number one about having a Jesus-like healthy prayer life. Jesus-like good prayer life. Question number one, is my prayer life an exercise in humility? Right? And we see the words in this text, ask, seek, and knock. And we tend to think of those as dominant actions in prayer life. That I am boldly asking I am boldly seeking. I am boldly, boldly knocking. And we tend to think about them as dominant actions. But what I want you to see in the text is that these are actions actually of a differential person. The person who asks, seeks, and knocks is actually deferring to a higher authority. Let me tell you how I, let me prove this to you. When I go home today after church, after we've had lunch, I am not going to knock at my front door before I enter. Why? Because I own the home. And I'm not going to knock on my own door to enter my home. If I come over to your house this afternoon and I approach your front door, you ought to be thankful to the Lord God above that I am going to knock. <laughs> right? I am not just going to walk into your home. Why? Because you own the home. 
And so this idea of knocking and asking and seeking, it built into it is the idea that I am deferring to a higher authority. I am deferring to the owner of the house. As the knocker, I am the, the deferential one. So here's the truth. We never want to approach prayer as the owner of the house. We want to approach prayer in humility, that we are asking the owner of the house. And so it is good to ask, it is good to seek, it is good to knock, it is good to do that with great passion. But understand, you are approaching the owner of the house, and so we approach him in humility. We live in a very entitled culture, entitled culture. I blame Netflix, right? Um, and I, let, let me prove this to you, all right? When I was a kid, my sister and I knew that Saturday morning was the time for cartoons, right? All week would build up to it. We were excited about it. It would come to it. Now, whenever I would allow Sam, he has access to thousands and thousands of cartoons through Netflix anytime that he wants. And I think that technology, and te it's not Netflix's fault, but technology like it has caused us to have a right now, uh, a right now attitude that God this is what I desire, this is what I need, you're gonna do it because I'm the owner of the house. When in reality, prayer should be done with humility. That we understand we're approaching the owner of the house. And so we have a humble attitude. And you say, what exactly does this look like? Let me show you. I, it's, I could try to describe what humble prayer looks like, but I'd rather show you. So let me, let me show you uh, the most humble prayer I think in history. It says, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down, and prayed. All right, now watch this. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Asking, seeking, knocking. All right, I picture, we find out later that Jesus was sweating blood. He is doing what the text describes. Ask, seek, and knock, right? So take this cup from me, Here's the second part. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Humility, right? So asking, seeking, and knocking does not mean that we're not humble. You can ask, seek, and knock in a humble way. And, and you're doing that in a non-entitled way that, man, God, I want your will to be done. Uh, we're going to talk about that more in a minute. But then an angel appeared to him and strengthened him, right? God uh, did answer that prayer. Jesus went to the cross, but God answered that prayer in a different way. And being in anguish, he prayed earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. So we approach prayer with a humble spirit understanding that God's the owner. God is God. God's in charge. And so we request humbly. Question number two, am I praying for good things? Am I praying for good things? All right, a few weeks ago, uh, our family went to Sheds uh, to celebrate my uh, seven-year-old's adoption day. All right, so we always do kind of a family experience then. And they were doing this overnight thing at Sheds. My son loves aquariums. And they were doing this overnight thing uh, for uh, parents and kids and where you get to sleep at the aquarium. And uh, Cheryl and Sam kind of stumbled on this one day and we decided uh, to do it. And so we were there. Um, and it was getting close to bedtime and I was sitting on a bench and uh, this father was there with his son sitting right next to me. And the son had this fairly substantial bowl of ice cream. Right? That, that he was kind of eating there. And I kind of looked at the ice cream uh, thinking I would really like some ice cream was my first thought, but um, that's not why I'm telling the story though. And then uh, I kind of looked up at the dad and the dad said to me, 
Well, I told my son that tonight, for this night, he could have literally anything he wanted. And my, my second thought after I want the ice cream, my, my second thought, well, but it's inappropriate to take it from a kid, but, um, <laughs> and the line was really long. So um, my second thought was, why on earth would you promise that? <laughs> that you can literally have anything you want. And I think some people believe that God has promised that to them. That because you've put your faith in me, because you follow me, because you love me. And this text almost appears to be saying that. That you can ask for anything and I will give it to you. But remember the context of this, of this text is that underlying the truth is that we are, it assumes we are praying for good things. Right? That the father gives good gifts to his children. So if you're unintentionally even praying for something that's not great for you, the answer to that is going to be no. So prayer works best when we are aligned with God's mindset on this. That I am praying for good things and God is giving good things. Right? That's when prayer works best. And I have an understanding of what good looks like in my humanness and even in my sinfulness I have an understanding of what good looks like, uh, but I don't trust myself to know what is good all the time. I don't. Um, it's like with your kids. If you're anything like me, um, we take Sam to the dentist uh, tw- twice a year, and he gets brushed and flossed and all that stuff, and he likes our dentist, but it's not his favorite thing, right? It, it is a gift from mom and dad that he has not yet received, right? That we're, we're going to make you go to the dentist. And he just doesn't understand that this is a good gift, even though it's not fun at, at all. And so I want to learn from God. What is the good gifts that you want me to pray for? What is good to you? I want to learn from God about what, what is the good things that I can be praying for. And, and Jesus actually taught us what this was earlier in the Sermon on the Mount. Let me put it on the screen for you. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So I want to go back up to the, the prayer part of that, verses 9 through 13. And let's just read that together. These are the good things that we can pray. Ready? This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So what are good things you can be praying for? that God's name be praised. Whatever you're facing, whatever you're encountering, say, man, God, I want, I want to praise your name, but I want others to praise your name as well. So God, in this situation, may your name be praised. That is a good prayer. Um, that we're praying for God's will to be done. We saw the example in Jesus that God, I don't trust myself to know your will. I'm human, I'm sinful, I, I, have an, I have a human agenda. So I don't always trust myself to know your will. So God, I, wanna, I want your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? God's, heaven is a place where God's will is done perfectly. I want your will to be, just like it's there, I want it to be done here. Uh, we're praying for daily needs. 
that, that whatever your daily needs are, we're praying for that. We're praying that God would deliver us and others from temptation. God, please don't allow me to fall into temptation. We're praying for good things, all right? Next question. Am I consistently engaging in this gift? Am I consistently engaging in this gift? Uh, Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up, right? Because he he knew we were going to have this tendency, what is the purpose of this? Why am I doing this? And he said, here's a parable. In a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, second story like this, she won't stop knocking at my door, right? She won't stop bothering me. I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. Weird part of the story. I don't know how that applies, but anyway. um, And the Lord said, listen, uh, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So this is a parable. Jesus, you know, sometimes Jesus didn't always tell us what the parable was about. I love that this, this one he does. He, said, he told his disciples a parable so that they would always pray and not give up, Right? So this is a story about persistent prayer. This is a story about coming to God again and again and again. As a side note, this is one of the texts that seems to point to the openness of God, the idea that God is open to and moved by the consistent prayers of his people. But this isn't a prayer about convincing God to do, this isn't a story about convincing God to do what we want. You know what consistent prayer does? Consistent prayer reminds us of several things. So if we look at the the, uh, uh, Matthew 6 text, that prayer, if we consistently engage in prayer like that, where we are praying the good things that Jesus taught us to uh, to pray, then consistent prayer does several things. Consistent prayer reminds me of the greatness and bigness of God, right? Um, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Praised be your name. So consistent prayer, when I engage in consistent prayer that praises God, I am being reminded that God is bigger than my problems. And God gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And as he gets bigger, my problems get smaller and smaller and smaller. So this is a a benefit of consistent prayer. It's not just talking God into doing what you want him to do. It is I am being reminded that I serve a God who is really, really big. Consistent prayer keeps me connected in relationship to God, right? It's a relational encounter. So especially when you're going through something hard, you can find yourself questioning God and his love for you. And prayer is a reminder that no, God loves me. God gave his son for me. God has created me. God loves me. And and consistent prayer will remind us of that relationship. Prayer, consistent prayer reminds me that God has a will and I want to trust it. Your will be done. And consistent prayer reminds me that God is not done in this situation yet. So when I was growing up, um, my mom would often kind of make these big meals. And uh, sometimes we'd be clearing the table after this big kind of wonderful meal. And we'd be getting ready to clear the table. And my mom would say one of my favorite phrases in the history of the world. She would say, hey, keep your fork keep your fork. And what keep your fork meant was that dessert was on its way. 
that she had made a pie, she had made a cake, she had made whatever. And so we'd be clearing the head. No, no, everybody keep your fork, right? And it was always a very encouraging thing. Prayer is a reminder to us to keep our fork, that God's not done yet. And prayer reminds me of that. When I, when I am praying to God, it is a reminder that he is at work in this situation. And I just need to hold on to my fork and see what he does. Because he's going to do something good. And, and that's true in this life, right? That I believe God works all things to the good of those who love him and may call according to his purposes. That God is going to do something good. And that's true in this life. And it is most certainly true in the next life. That what he has promised for us, if you hold on to your fork, what he has promised for us is, is a future life of no death or mourning or crying or pain. So Jesus, I think, would say to us this morning, very, very loose translation, hold on to your fork. Right? Don't give up on God. Don't give up on prayer. You keep consistently coming to him because he's not done yet. Dessert is on the way. And then the last question is, do I trust in the goodness of God? Do I trust the will of God, right? That, that's the whole idea here, that we pray for good things. God gives good things in his timing and in his way, he, he brings good things. We, we sing a song here um, that God makes beautiful things. He makes beautiful things out of the dust. And that really is true. That goes back to the creation story of when God took the dust of the earth and he kind of formed it together and he formed man uh, in his image, he breathed life into him. It's like, man, God, we are examples, all right? All human beings are examples that God makes beautiful things out of the dust, right? It's this kind of messy, beautiful, extraordinary thing. But it is true in every area of life that it may seem like dust to you. It may seem like dirt to you. It may seem like nothing good can, can come from this, but that is God's specialty, that he makes beautiful things out of the dust. And I think that's true. I know it's true, but there are times where it's easy to see. So you're praying for something and you're praying for something and God's answer to you is yes. That's when it's easy to see, isn't it? It's extraordinarily cool, right? When you've prayed and prayed and prayed and it's like, he makes beautiful things out of the dust. He said yes. And it's an amazing, extraordinary thing to be a part of. Um, and then sometimes we pray and God's answer is, wait, right? And waiting never feels good, but sometimes waiting is good, right? Think about uh, Israel in the desert and how they had to travel through the desert all those years. You know what God did in the desert while they were waiting? When God kind of answered their prayers to get to the promised land and God said, no, we got some work to do in the desert, right? Because of their unfaithfulness. He said, so my answer to your prayer right now is wait, you're going to get to the promised land. Your grandkids are going to get there, whatever. But right now it's wait. You know what God did in that desert? He gave them the law. He molded their character. He taught them patience. He taught them to rely on him. The wait was hard, but the wait was ultimately good. So, so that's harder to see. And then sometimes we pray and pray and pray. And the answer is no. And I'll tell you, as the parent of two children, no never feels good. And no is one of those things where no feels like the dust. It does. And our church just personally experienced this this week of praying and praying and praying. 
It's like, no. Um, and it can feel like the dust, but God brings beautiful things in his own way in the dust. Can I tell you how? It is the person who isn't healed, but receives their eternal reward. That is a beautiful thing in the dust, that they have received their eternal reward and they are in a better place with the Father. That is a beautiful thing in the middle of dust. The person who gets a no to one prayer, but a yes to another prayer, right? So uh, the answer is initially no, but then it's a yes to something else that Cheryl and I uh, prayed and prayed uh, for children. And the clear answer to us again and again was no to natural childbearing, but yes to adoption. And that's a a beautiful thing that kind of happened in the middle of some dust. The person who isn't, um, uh, the the person who isn't delivered, the answer to their delivery is no, but God's power and grace shows up. The apostle Paul talked about this. He said, I've got this thorn in the flesh, right? And some people think that it was maybe a speech impediment. Some people thought it was migraines. Some people thought it was another person, (laughs) God, I've got this thorn in my flesh. And I was like, oh, everyone knows who he's talking about, right? Um, you know, that this person, and what, he had a relationship with someone that was very, very difficult. Um, and that everyone kind of laughed when, they, some people think everyone kind of laughed when, he, when they, they read that because everyone kind of knew who Paul was in battle with at the time. But anyway, I don't know what it was. He doesn't say. But he says, repeatedly, I asked God to remove that thorn in the flesh. And repeatedly, God said no, but he said, my grace will be sufficient in your weakness. That is a beauty in the middle of the dust. That the answer to deliverance is no, but the answer to grace and power is yes. And so even when the answer is no, and I never wanna sound trite about any of these things, because no is an extraordinarily hard answer to get. So I don't wanna sound trite and passive, because it's hard. It's dusty. It's dirty, it's gritty, but I promise you, if you will look around in the the dirt at that no, God brings beautiful things out of the dust. And sometimes it's hope, when someone's passed away, it's hope that they're, they're with the Lord and joy that they're with the Lord, hard for us, but joy for them. And sometimes it's like, well, he's saying no to this, but he's going to give me his power and his grace to make it through. And sometimes it's no to this, but maybe yes to that. But I promise you there's some beauty in the dust. There always, always is. And perhaps there is no better example of it than Jesus going to the cross that I shared with you earlier. God, if there's any way the prayer goes for this cup to pass from me, let it pass, but your will be done. And God said, my will will be done. And Jesus went to the cross and he paid for our sins. And three days later, some beauty came out of the dust. Three days later, some beauty came out of the dust and Jesus resurrected. And, he, and that is where our hope is, that he, resurrect, he resurrected himself. And so we know he's gonna resurrect us. He gives us his power made perfect in our weakness. The resurrection is everything. And that was beauty from the dust. And so we're gonna celebrate that time together right now after I pray. We're gonna celebrate a time of communion where we remember his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing about beautiful things in the dust, that, that prayer is not 
simply about getting you to do what we want. It's so much more. It's about coming to you in humility. It's about joining you in your will. It's about finding joy, hope, and peace in you. It's about maybe finding that beautiful gem in the middle of the dust. Would you help us to do that, Lord? I know that congregationally, the last little while, there's, I know there's a lot of hurting people in this room. And we want to trust in your resurrection right now. The most beautiful thing that ever came out of any dusty situation. And we want to remember it. We want to celebrate it. And we want to be reminded that that promise is for us. That resurrection is coming. You're going to do something extraordinarily beautiful. We thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. We're going to uh, pass communion right now. You'll find two cups stacked on top of each other. One has some bread representing Jesus' body. The other has some juice representing his blood. And this is an opportunity for us to remember and receive. Remember what Jesus did and receive it as a promise to us. That resurrection is for us. Beauty is for us. This is a promise for us. And so remember and receive. And, um, and then I'm going to come back up in just a minute after we, you have some time for prayer. Uh, in a time in prayer, thanking God for what he did, I'll come up and we'll receive communion together uh, as a church family.